Welcome back, everybody, to the Deposit That Podcast. Super excited to have my friends here today. I met back in 2013. Proof that you can form friendships in business and business and friendships. I would like to play the intro song when <laughs> I want you to picture, close your eyes and picture somebody running up a set of stairs. And after this Liberty Mutual ad plays, that's not part of this podcast. You'll hear it. You're not advertising. This is not. I should charge them for this, though. Hold on. Yes, I'm too cheap to pay for the YouTube premium. <laughs> <laughs> so close your eyes and picture <laughs> Ralph running up every step in every stadium. I like this. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. So, this works. <laughs> RDB, welcome to the show. I appreciate Thank you coming in. You have a lot going on, especially yeah. in this chaotic market. Tell everybody how you got into the mortgage business. So when I graduated college, uh, it was the first kind of bubble. It was the internet bubble with stocks, which is interesting what's going on this week. It's kind of interesting to talk about that. Full and circle. There weren't a lot. I got a finance degree, but there weren't a lot of jobs. So there were sales jobs. I had a friend that was in mortgage. He's just like, hey, it's raining mortgages. Come do this. It's easy. It was easy. Yeah, and it really was. Yeah, I got then. into mortgages. You didn't have to even be licensed at that point. And for six years, I had an amazing run in mortgages. Just, you know, I went from being a salesperson to running a group to running a division. You know, when every year kind of got better and better and you made more money and more money and it seemed like life was kind of good and easy. Sure. But uh, some of the things going on now is kind of mirroring that. In 2008, it kind of went down and then we started over again. But um, yeah, that was, it was just, I it was only sales jobs. So I went into sales. I wasn't really a salesperson, but I, I learned how to be. So do you think that it was very important learning sales first to then add to your, I'm going to call it God-given talent of management skills? I think my greatest skill is that I was kind of brought up to work hard. So I think adding sales skills to that really is what helped me because I think, you know, you have mortgages all, you yes, understand yeah, it, yeah. you know, and this business is as much as you put in, as much as you get out. So I think adding that to sales. Do so you think hard work is actually the foundation? Thousand, yeah, thousand percent. I, I think that I've overcome a lot of li my own limitations by just working very, very hard. And you can outrun mistakes by working very, very hard. So I think that was what really what added to sales added to that. And, you know, it was, it ended up being a good combination. So what do you believe took you to management portion of the mortgage business? Cause as you know, most managers suck. Most owners of banks suck. We're yeah. going to talk flat out. You know, you say to me like, I wish I could say what you could say, but I can't. Yeah, and yeah. I respect that. So yeah. I'll say it. So what do you think causes that poor lack of leadership and management specifically in the mortgage industry? It's every industry, but sure. specifically the mortgage industry. So I'll speak of my first myself first. I think for me, what management was, not easy, but it, it eventually I morphed into it because I like teaching and I like mentoring, you know? So I think that I'll sometimes lead with that first and I'll almost like you give out more information than I should be because I'm not being paid to do mm -hmm. it. But I think I enjoy that part of it. So I think that kind of led into management, but I also think, so I, I was a promoted to a vice president at what became Deutsche Bank when I was like 24, you know, and again, I advanced really, really quickly. And I, I remember I walked into my first meeting and I was the youngest guy in the room. There was all these older people there. And You're old now, by the way. Yeah, I'm old. Yeah, I'm old. I'm the oldest guy in the room now. But um, I didn't realize that you had to earn people's respect to tell them what to do yet because I had never done it before. So I walked into the room and sure. I was like, well, this is what we're doing. And people looked at me like I was crazy and, and nobody respected me and walked out of the room. And, and I was just like, what was that? And then, you know, it was my first real life lesson that, you know, respect is earned and, and you know, people will follow you when, when they respect you and you're kind of leading them down the right path. And they weren't going to follow somebody who was a kid who walked in the room and thought they could tell everybody what to do. So I think it sounds like me. Actually. Yeah, <laughs> listen, I think you've learned some of that mistakes too. Yep, you know yep. what I mean? And but I think that management is poor because there's a lack of training in our business. You know, like me, they got into the business. Hey, get on the phone and sell, and that was kind of it. I learned on the job, and I think a lot of people learn on the job. And I think from that, everybody wants to be a manager. You know, but because they think it's easy, yeah, and they think there's more money in it, hundred percent, and it's harder and it's there's less, less money. Yeah, I tell people all the time, leave a production. If you leave a production, you right. can do whatever you want because right. you can provide value. You want to be a manager for what? 
I mean, when you're a manager, you, it's everybody else's problems are basically yours. So and these people can't even manage themselves. Correct. Yeah. And, th- yeah. and that becomes the frustration. You know, my biggest frustration still is that um, I'm a very structured person. I'm, I'm, you're probably I'm, the most structured routine person I know. Thank truthfully. you. I appreciate it. No, that's true. It. And, and I, I live my life off of routines. And it's frustrating to me. Two things are really, really frustrating to me. When people can't be consistent, one. And the second thing is when they have a worker's mentality. Um, and I think what a worker's mentality means. Nine to five. Is, yeah, like. I'm going to wait in my car until, until 9 o'clock to walk into the, to, to the building. And 4.59, I'm, I'm packed. I, I'm, I'm packing and I'm leaving. And, and, you know, I think I feel a responsibility to everybody around me on a daily basis for two things. I want them to make money, and I want them to realize there's growth in their position. Because I think the death to all things, and I think probably where you went on your own at some point, is that when you feel like you're capped, Completely. and this is all that it is, Completely. and this is all that it's ever going to be, how, do you be, how are you motivated on a daily basis to do anything? So I think... I want to provide the people around me opportunity to grow, but they have to see it themselves. If they don't see it themselves, then it's I think it's super fit. important, as you know, like I get raw and real, like I feel energy, right? So I first want to thank you for hanging in with me, right? And what I mean by that is you've been through two of probably the biggest transitions of my life, like when I went through a failed engagement and like chaos in the Bronx, that sure. was number one. Yeah. And then number two was coming back to Jersey, going through all the chaos and then transitioning from that capped ceiling person so we, yeah, to so starting four startups and self-funding them, yeah, you know? Yeah. So I, I appreciate that from a friendship level, but also from a business level, because like I said in the post yesterday, we've been able to overcome some very challenging moments and challenging times sure. with tough decisions that have been had. So I, I, I really appreciate you for that. No, absolutely. And I think that the, the reason we've been able to do that, and again, mutual respect, and you said that in the post yesterday, but I think more than anything is that in any relationship, there's got to be a there's got to be both people have to get something out of it truly. Right. And I think what I've gotten from you, whether you realize it or not, I think I've said this to you before, is that you've turned me on to things before anybody else. Even like just because you really are always are ahead of the curve. Mm-hmm. I, I always want to see you follow through, mm-hmm. but like you're always ahead of the curve. Like you've turned me on some things that I've now myself have gone Take down that path. Yeah. yeah, I don't think you give out advice without really believing it in your brain. True. So I think that you stuff that you really believe in, you've talked to me about, I've really gotten a lot out of it. I think that's why I can, you know, when we don't agree on everything, I can see past it because we're not going to agree on everything. We're not supposed to. We're not supposed to. We're we're the same person. Different stages in life, different ages. Absolutely. It's just a different... uh, it's a different world we live in today, you know, and again, some things may work for some people and some things may not work for others. I agree. But I think having an open mind to automatically not just shut a concept down because you don't understand it. Like you've been great with that. And I have, I still have a hard time with that only because I think from when I entered the business, I didn't trust a lot of people that I was surrounded by. I've been burnt so many times. It's kind of like, look, what somebody's saying might be right, but because I've been burnt by more people than not in the business, I just don't, I I have to kind of like beat to my own drum. You know, if it doesn't make sense to me, there's a reason for it. Yeah. If it's something that doesn't feel right. I think, I take a different approach to it, but it also, I think it limits me in some ways mm-hmm. is that I don't want to ask anybody for anything. So right. I always try everything myself first because I'm, I'm afraid to trust people. Right. And I think that's limiting too, because then I have to get through every single pothole on my own. Like nobody's kind of helping me avoid them and they it's probably could stuff. if I trusted a little bit more. Correct. So, you know, I think we've both had some similar experiences in this business and it's a risk. It's a give it a take, you know, you got to figure out your, your path. Talked about the importance of developing a personal brand in conjunction with a corporate brand if you work for somebody. And I'll preface that with, you know, every realtor out there right now, right, is putting like, yeah, I'm the big guy in town, but I'm powered by Century 21. You know, it's like, okay, I respect that. But at what point does a corporation say your brand is not bigger than our brand? I think that you always, I think it's all about being a personal brand. Whatever business we're in, to have any leverage in that business where we can make the rules, you have to 
be your own brand. Right. And I think as a realtor, you know, I'll use Ryan Serhan as an example because he's an easy example. Nobody knows he works for Nest Seekers. He doesn't no own Nest Seekers. No he's not, he just works for Nest Seekers. But because his brand is so big on its own, nobody cares. Mm-hmm. And I, I think in real estate, and, and mortgages too, but in real estate, even more so in real estate, you should be your own personal mm-hmm. brand. Nobody's going to care what you work for as long as you're putting out a good product. And Unless you're, you're buying job. leads and the company's giving you leads. But if you're out on the exactly. street, Exactly, depending on the company. You know? right. and, and, and there's nothing wrong with being part of a company, but I think it's, you have to leverage if you build yourself up and it's about, and, and you, you don't have, you can make it about you, but like you also should think about your brand in that way. Like, like I'm very, as you know, conscious about what I put out there. And I think I'm as transparent as I possibly can be. Without pushing boundaries. Without pushing boundaries right. too much. And I, and I You're think a first class brand. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't, I don't, I think in my life I'm that way mm-hmm. too. So it kind of mirrors that. But the best thing that ever happened to me in this business was me starting my own brand because it gave me all the leverage. Cause at the end of the day, you know, I'm like a franchise owner of my company and we do a lot of business where my group is a billion dollar a year group with my partners. A big number. So it's a big number, but I don't need them. Like, you know what I mean? Like if tomorrow they were like, you know, they probably, they do 16 billion, so they don't need me either. Right. But at the end yeah, of the you're day- you're 6% of their company correct. and whatever. Yeah, so, but if they came to me tomorrow and they're like, hey, yeah, this doesn't work, we'll close, I'd be like, all right, I'll just go, you know, go it's, it's fine. Because it would never, nobody would ever know the difference. Yeah, it's plug and play. Plug and play. I can tell you for a fact, out of, let's say 100% of loans I've done, 99.8% didn't know what company I worked for other than the 0.2% Indians that I did loans for. Especially they were you, like, yeah. what company is this? Yeah, I'm yeah. like, oh, motherfucker. Yeah, you know? yeah, <laughs> you know yeah, yeah. with you, 100%. You, no one knew what, they were like, I'm deal with Jeff. Like, like, oh, call yes. Jeff the loan guy. Call Jeff the mortgage guy. Well, you know? I think you understood that early on. Super early on. Uh, you never, no, I don't even think for any personal reason, except you understood it. You never really branded a company. I didn't because I moved around so much and I was still in that trial and error phase. And yeah. to be honest with you, it was kind of more of, an embarrassment that I had to try different companies out and that I was lied to by so many different people. You know what I mean? So from my standpoint, it was like, look, I'm in the street. Personally, you remember, I was in the street in New York as Jersey Mortgage Company. So if I go out into the Bronx, first of all, Bronx people don't like New Yorkers. I'm like, you're from New York. They're like, no, we're from the Bronx. So like, they didn't want to deal with anybody that wasn't isolated from the Bronx. Now I got Jersey on my business card. I'm like, no, no, no. You're just going to come to my Liberty Tax office. I'm going to write your mortgage application. I'm in the Bronx. Yeah, Yeah. I I live here. I live on (laughs) Trion Avenue, you know? But it's super important because I remember then when I shifted into the Manhattan, you were with me with 2013 when we shifted into the Manhattan business Mm -hmm. and Highline and all those guys. They were like, well, where's your company? Westchester. Uh, if you're not here in Manhattan, we're not giving you deals. I'm like, wait, I'm standing physically present in your office. I'll yeah. come to you. Yeah. And if you didn't have a New York City, Manhattan address, people weren't giving you business. Yeah. And I learned that with the company I'm at now, and they're a national company, and they failed in New York, New York and New Jersey like two or three times because they were, you can't, and just like Quicken Loans, you can't run a New York business from, from a call center. It's so funny. So I'm not saying you can't. It's more challenging. It's challenging. Like yeah. so, I'm indirectly doing business with not Quicken, but a realtor who does a lot of business with Quicken, who's from the West Coast. They referred three billion billion dollars in leads to New York last year and and closed the worst percentage in the country, five percent or less. Because you can't. You have to be here. It's, it's a face to face relationship business. And, and, and New York City is a little bit different that way. That's what pisses me off about realtors, though, because realtors are buying like, oh, well, this guy in Texas did 743 deals. I'm like, yeah, well, there's. 750 people in this town. You know what I mean? Like, you know, like everything's spread out here in New York City. Good luck taking market share because the real players come here. The liars, the scums, crooks, and thieves also come here. But everyone's competing and everyone can sell and everyone's a hustler. It's a high level. Go ahead. Go out to Arizona. If they're doing 700 deals, you should do 1,400 if you have that same work ethic. But the same person that's selling 750 deals out in Arizona or Texas is not coming here and doing that same volume. very hard, yeah, because it's a much more competitive market. I look at it almost – we use sports analogies a lot, and I look at sports and – I wore this for you today. Yeah, I love that. (laughs) They have – um, 
It's like, so you see all these athletes are getting hurt now. There's a lot more injuries yep. and baseball players and everybody's getting hurt. And they're like, oh, we're overtraining. The problem is, is that it's probably somewhere in the middle. Mm-hmm. I think that we probably are overtraining, but the fact that you're overtraining is because it's such a high level at this point now that you have no choice. Like that, that you sports, have to keep getting better. It keeps getting better. So sports are at such yep. a high level now that you don't have a choice but to train like right. that, but the body is having a hard time withstanding it. So you're seeing more injuries. Or you're not setting the proper foundation or you're not doing the little things. I came up with this quote on the way here when I was holding on so I want you to picture. I'm holding <laughs> on, my, on the path. There's 74 people around me. The kid next to me definitely looked like he had the virus. I'm like, this kid's face is blood red. I just watched that movie it's last scary, night. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I can't even cough, sneeze. I was like this, right? So I'm holding on and I'm like, LT squared. First of all, I used to love Lawrence Taylor. I think yeah, everyone did. I did too, yeah. So it's learn to love little things. Like, as flat out as it gets, like, if you learn to love the little things, like, whether it's your ankle rehab or it's whether it's waking up in the morning and stretching, like, do those little things that are going to help you set the foundation properly. And and you know me more than anybody, probably from a business standpoint, I always saw a bigger picture, right? I'm not the guy who gets caught up in the details, but when I broke my ankle, I literally would spend an hour at the day, hour at the day per day in the gym. Just working on it. Rehabbing my ankle. Yeah. And I'm like... I've never done an ankle workout in my life before. And it sucked. But I'm like, this, if I build from the ground up the right way, I'm going to be able to scale even better. better. Yeah, no. I'm a big Kobe Bryant guy. I always, I, I can't, and I more even after his career than before his career because yeah. I was really impressed about what he was doing. Yeah. But if you look at the stuff he did, he was so detail oriented. He was so like hyper focused on every single little detail. Perfectionist. It, yeah, I mean, Michael Jordan told the story at his memorial. He was like, he called me and asked me what my mindset was when I was 11 when I was taking jumpers. He was like, I don't know. I was, I was thinking about playing baseball. <laughs> but like he was really thinking like, what was, your, I mean, who thinks about that? But I think that's somebody, perfectionist. That's what gets him to that level. Yeah, I mean, let's look at somebody like Steve Jobs or anybody that, that does such things at such a high level yep. they're so folk hyper focused on details they don't and i agree i'm always a big picture guy well long-term big picture but i think sometimes we have to get into the details to make sure things go the right way people say like you set your goal like all right i want to make 10 million dollars but then people every day wake up and say i want to make 10 million dollars and they forget to do like today's tasks yeah, you know like that, there's yeah. no momentum being built from that talk a little about how your personal workouts mm-hmm. right and what you've pushed yourself you've accomplished some very high accolades in i believe was it, it was crossfit I, or uh, uh well, i used to opposite spot i used to spot races. races yeah talk a little bit about that and how that kind of fueled you through a tough time in the mortgage business yeah um so i i i, th- I think the only time i've ever been out of shape in my li- like really out of shape in my life was like 2008 2009 when the market crashed because i was in hell you know what I, mean? I was like i was bankrupt <laughs> mentally and, yeah. physically emotionally i mean i lost all my money within like a month yeah. you know what i mean because i didn't have yeah. the right the proper way to keep the money. We were never taught that. Yeah. We were never taught that. Never. So, Especially um, not in the mortgage business. <laughs> yeah. So I, so the, my, then I just stopped doing everything and I was, I was really working 13 hours a day again as a loan officer because yep. I had to rebuild yep. it again. Yep. So I stopped exercising. But uh, anyway, I got back into it. And then I think, you know, for the last, how long have that's been? 12 years of my life, every single day. I mean, every single day you do something. I break a sweat every single day. Every day. Know, every day. Because I need the routine of it. So I'm, I'm a, four, I'm an early guy and I know everybody talks about that, but the reason I became an early guy more, I was always somebody who didn't sleep late, but my son, my kid, my son was born and then my daughter was born. And then I had to get up earlier and earlier to kind of have my own time That's to myself. Kobe did too. Yeah. So I had to keep getting up earlier. So then it became 4.30. Um, but I work out for about an hour and a half every single morning. It starts my day and then I'm in the office early. But the reason I have, a, so my routine every morning is I wake up at 4.30, I get myself together, I go to the gym, I have like an hour, hour and a half workout, I get home, I shower, I get to the office probably an hour and a half before everybody gets there, and I can get myself set. So by the time everybody gets there, I'm, I'm on full go. You're catching up everything from yeah, the everything's prior done. night. Like, yeah. By the time somebody be there at 10 o'clock, I'm like midday, right. you know what I mean? So yeah, They're rolling in like they're the early bird. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, like, yeah and the reason, the reason I think what the market crash taught me is that 
the night before could really stress me out. I used to lose sleep all the time. And I'd I sleep for years. Yeah, and I don't lose sleep anymore. And the reason being, very rarely, is because I know every single day I get up and do the same thing. So the first 30% of my day is taken care of. No matter Sad. what's going on, like today, is, you know, the market was down 2,000 points yesterday, and we're in a, a crazy recession at the very sec- this very second, but today was my same routine, except I came to see you instead I went to the office. But um, So I think routine every single day has really helped me with success because just like you said with your ankle, it's my foundation every single day. And my foundation is take- my foundation is strong and it's taken care of. So then I can move on to the next thing. And that's what I really learned about myself is that I have a strong foundation so I can handle a lot more stress and a lot more problems during the day. If I didn't have fitness, I don't think I could handle the stress. Serious? Yeah, on a daily basis. Well, I consider that a real work, right? Like I see you deadlifts and I hated deadlifts. I hated doing yeah. like a lot of legs. I like jumping, I like hand cleaning and stuff. Like I always hated squatting from a bad knee, knee surgery, lower back, whatever, right? Yeah, give you a- it turned out that like I had like weak something and I'm working on them now so my butt's going to get bigger in case you're on there. <laughs> but it's kind of like when you're standing in front of that weight and you have four, five, six hundred pounds, whatever the weight is, right? Yeah. 300 pounds and you got to pull it up. Like that's much harder than doing mortgages. Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah. And you're getting better by doing them. Yeah, you're just challenging yourself every single day. Like, I got to push through this, you know, and, and, you, and like the obstacle, I got into obstacle racing in like 13 or something like that. And like- from, That young? Oh, no, yeah, oh, 2013. Oh, yeah, I think, and I think, or oh, 2014, but between 2014 and like 18, I was top 15 in the country every single year at something, I'd never even really run before, mm-hmm. but I, you know, I was athletic enough and then I really got so hyper-focused on it. I was training twice a day and like, it became obsessive like everything else. Like, and then I think I realized in 18 or 19, you know, as my kids were starting to get older, it was like, you know, what's important to me? And legacy mm-hmm. became the most important thing in my life. Like, it really is more than money, more than anything. Like, what am I kind of building for, for, mm-hmm. for next for me and mm-hmm. for the people who are following me? And I think I got even more refocused on work at that point from Seriously. there on out. Yeah, and is that I, why you got your son training now? Yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, <laughs> I, I'm kind of like hoping that he likes it, but yeah. I want him to have a routine. And if he doesn't like it, he doesn't like it, but he seems to like it so far. But I got hyped more. I got kind of reengaged in the business again. I was on cruise. I was doing well, but I was on cruise, cruise control. control. Yeah, you were. Yeah. You were. I was on cruise control. And you, you were with me at that point. I saw you saw it. I was like, you know, it was easy. I think I've, I've made it uneasy at this point now, but I, I really, really love it again. And, and I've gotten to much higher heights than I had ever gotten to before. And I think it's because I got so hyper-focused on it. So- you know, again, you hit that level, that plateau, let's call uh-huh. it, right? And you were like, all right, I'm good. I'm still operating at the top. And then you were like, I'm leaving the company I've been at for many years. Uh-huh. How hard was that transition? What actually caused you to make or take that leap of faith into an unknown? I know it's an, a yeah. little bit more of a calculated known, yeah. but it's still an unknown after that structure being type of person you are. I think that when I really, really was honest with myself, I was unhappy. Like I was unhappy being comfortable. I'm unhappy being comfortable. I'm with you. Yeah, so... Um, and I had to, and that's something I didn't even realize about myself because I think that we were so scarred. For, I was so scarred from the crash that I everyone just, was. Yeah, you just want to be comfortable again. When I got to comfortable, I was like, "Oh, this is great. I'm back to comfortable. I don't have money issues. Uh, I'm not secure. I'm living low to the ground. Everything is great." And then I realized, "Wow, this sucks. Like I'm just showing up at work every single day, going through the motions. I'm a zombie. Just, um, yeah, it was, felt like a zombie. Um, and I was my own boss, and I, I felt like a I zombie. You were, and right? I didn't have to be there, and I felt like a zombie. So I think at th- that point, I was like, I have to get out of my comfort zone. I have to do something to shake it up. And I was in the middle of something personal last year too when I did it, which yep. was the craziest thing yep. in the whole entire yep. world. You know, my wife went through cancer. She's through it. She's in remission. And that was a whole other thing to like, and listen, she went through it. I went through it with her, but I had to just really be a strong support. It's harder watching than being. <clears throat> yeah, you kind of, uh, the kind of person that I feel like I am, I, I really wish I could have just taken it on because I was afraid how she was going to handle it. And she ended up handling it amazing. She's actually stronger than you. She, yeah, she may be. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> she ended up handling it uh, like uh, pretty amazing. Yeah. And I was almost like, uh, 
not shocked, but it was like pleasantly surprised like how well she handled it. But I took that on while moving companies. And so, but, but the best thing about it was is that when I look at something now, it's going to be hard. It's never going to be harder than that was. I moved 125 people to a new company while well, going to chemo treatments once a week. Having two kids. While having two kids. So it, I, this is a funny story, but it was like the epitome of like the height of it. So over the summer, I think I told you this, my wife had to go in for stem cell treatment. The end was stem cell treatment, yep. which we thought was going to be a breeze. It ended up being the hardest thing. So it's like July and she's got to go to the hospital for basically like two months. So I have, I have help with, with, with a nanny, but I have the kids essentially to myself, like morning and night, right? One's hanging on one arm, one's hanging yeah. on a leg. <laughs> so day one, I drop my wife off at the hospital. I have like two meetings in the city. I'm walking, like I never forget, I'm walking down 57 Street. It's like three o'clock and afternoon. my phone rings, it's the nanny. Hysterical crying. I'm like, like what's going on? She's like, I got hit by a car. Like, don't call me to get the kids. And I'm just like, don't call me. I'm like, are you okay? And she's like, no, the ambulance is on its way. You have to come get the kids. So I was like, so I just hang up the phone and I like, you know, at that moment, you're like, what am I going to do? Jumped in a cab. I went and got the car. You know what I mean? And, and you start, I started the process of figuring out what, what was the next step. And, and listen, my parents and, her, and her, her mom and even her dad were really, really big helps. And our family was really helping help. But it was like the epitome of crazy moments. Like we were still in a transition of companies. It was still really, really hard. Now my kids are in flux, which is my most important thing was I just wanted to make sure they had consistency every sure. single day. Sure. But yeah, it's never going to be harder than that was. Or it's never going to be harder than 2008 when... I didn't have a job or money and everything else. So I, you know, I keep, I use those as building blocks to kind of keep getting to It could to the always next. be worse. It could always be worse. But I also look at those two things, for example, as like training, right? You want to talk about training, like yeah. that trains and prepares you for what's next to come. Or now like what might seem like a big issue, you kind of deflect it or you not handle it immediately yeah. and you're not, you know, knocked off your track, if you will, for two, three, four, five, six hours. No, you're right. I mean, you've been, you're in this business for a long time and you realize that like no issue is not solvable. And today, in my life today? Yeah. It, is, like, it doesn't exist. I mean, there's degrees of compromise, mm-hmm. but everything's not, it's everything's solvable. You may have to compromise, but it's solvable. So I, yeah, I think you're right. I think I realize that now that nothing is off limits and nothing is, is not fixable. You just have to you have, get up and go to work every single day. How do you set like your goals and what your future plans are in a daily environment? So like, do you have goals for production? Do you have goals for income? Do you have goals for growth? Do you have goals for other businesses? How do you set that? And then how do you actually quantify that? You know, so it's interesting because I really like self-examine this stuff. Here's the problem. I've said I wanted to get someplace and then I got that place and I got there and I wasn't really that. Too easy. It it wasn't exciting. You know, like even when I was running these races, I would win races and I would be happy for like 30 minutes. (laughs) If that. that. And then afterwards I'd be like, I could have run faster. The competition yeah. wasn't yeah. that good. What's going to happen when I race against these people? Like I would immediately be breaking myself down in my head to try to build myself back up again because I think I need that portion of it. So I never let myself be too happy. And so many people think that's a problem. I think it's actually, which, which makes it me- fuels you. Yeah, fuels me 100%. Yeah. So I, I don't necessarily set goals. I think the best thing I have around me is I need people and things around me to inspire me to be better. Do you have that, you think? Yeah, I think I have a lot of younger people around me that I think my kids inspire me. I think I have a lot of younger people around me that, that whether they're creatives or they're younger loan officers or whatever, that what they don't realize is that I'm helping them, but they're inspiring me every single day because I want to be a better leader, be better for them. Well, you I, by example. I could give you 100%. That. And, and as they succeed, I'm more happy than anything. I have a couple of friends that have succeeded at a high level at this point now, and it makes me the happiest person in the world. My friend Sycamore, who's I'm a pretty big executive in the music business, and today was a big day for him. He had two record albums come out, but oh, wow. he executive produced Travis Scott's last Forever albums. Wow. He's become like the guy to know in music, and I know him since he's 18. You know, we've been a big part of each other's lives just 
talking to each other. And even in business, we've been in business together, but every single time he succeeds, I'm more happy for him than I would have been for myself because I just feel like I was part of it. You know what I mean? Like I feel like, oh, I was really part of this success and so on and so on. So I I think when I see other people succeed, it makes me happier than anything else. When I invested time in their success, Time, not money. Time. Time. Well, my, sometimes money, but, 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 but I'm saying time, time is, is more important. Because you can't get that back. Nope. Yeah. There's no ROI on time that. Time is it's definitely like, more this important. This is what yeah. it is, and this stays. Money 100%. goes and then goes yes. in, in most cases. Talk a little bit about, back to the mortgage business, the level of desperation, greed, lies, and deceit that unfortunately exists in an industry where we're controlling single-handedly probably the largest debt in someone's lives that they'll ever take on in conjunction with college or maybe yeah. God forbid medical bills. This isn't a great example, but it is a great example, but I don't like to use it. But people still in New York is a really good example of this. Like to deal with people of their own culture and their own kind. Spanish people who speak Spanish want to deal with Spanish loan officers, whatever it is, even as an Italian growing up Italian, like the Italian guys from my neighborhood wanted to deal with me. Problem with that is that those are the people that take advantage of them sometimes the most. Blind trust. Correct. Because Listen, me and you deal with somebody who's who's a millennial or whatever else, and they're very, very educa- yeah. educated, and they know how to educate themselves. On, oh, you have to have a real conversation with them to earn that. You have to really right. earn the business. Right. You can't just- You have to tell them something they've never heard before. Yeah, they're going to go ask somebody else. But if you deal with somebody who's from your neighborhood or of, of your culture, they're going to trust you blindly. Yeah. So a lot of people have taken that blind trust and taken advantage of it, put them in loans they should, because that's what people don't realize at this point now. Mortgages, even though it's gotten much more cookie cutter, it's still very, very subjective. I could put you in an FHA loan instead of a conventional loan because I came up with a reason that I could sell to somebody or to even to an underwriter, right. like this is why this makes sense. Right. But I'm crafting a picture. That doesn't mean that's the best situation for Very them. opinionated. That's where I see there still being problems, that people, customers are still being taken advantage of. It, it hasn't been fixed by the new law. A lot of it's in the Hispanic market. Too. A lot of no one talks about. Nobody it. talks about that, and, and that that's always you know that sometimes is an issue for me. My wife's Dominican. A lot of my friends. Of course, yeah, of it, it, and I look at that, and I'm just like, you don't want to do business with me because I don't speak Spanish, and I speak a little, but you don't speak Spanish. But you're being taken. Meanwhile, Manny of, from the block just charged you two points on a deal that you're making six of. points on. And, and again, I think it happens in every culture. I think that you won't see Chinese Chi- too. Ch- Chinese, yeah, Korean. Yeah, yeah, they want to. Yeah, everybody yeah, wants to deal with yeah. their own people. And again, sometimes those people are taking advantage of them the most. Correct. So. This business is still too subjective to being a loan officer. I believe in selling loans is still a craft, mm-hmm. and you have to be good at your craft. But you could also be manipulative with your craft, mm-hmm. and some people still sneaky. are sneaky. Yeah, talk about the recruiting standpoint now, right? Mm-hmm. Obviously, we experienced the whole draw draw hop draw hopper. Yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm from Jacksonville. The yeah. draw hoppers uh, yeah. <laughs> that would literally go and just lie, 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 never do deals. Obviously, they're going to get you know wound out. I yeah. believe. But talk about like the cutthroat recruiting and the level of desperation from a recruiting standpoint, as also seen in many, many other industries, but specifically real estate and mortgages. I think that a lot of the onus as managers or leaders or business owners is on us with that, and I'll explain to you why. I have to be selective enough to choose the people I should be working with and, and not be greedy myself to say, oh, you have a license? Come work for me, because I'm just setting myself up for failure. So if I'm, I'm at least selective about the people that I think are the match for me, mm-hmm. and then I have to be honest with them about it too. And I, I try to be at this point is, is a bazillion percent honest. And I always, yep. I always have been a bit more than ever. Like, I think this, you value, value time more right now. Uh, that you're 100% right. You, you, a million percent right. Like I value time more than anything. So uh, upfront with people, I was like, this is who I am. This is what I expect. This is what you can expect of me. If you need more than that, then I'm probably not the person for you. If, if you don't think you can meet my expectations, then this isn't a good partnership because the truth of the matter is, is they don't work for me with partners. So I think more than anything, I have to be more selective about who I bring in. 
And the truth to be told is I don't outwardly recruit many people at this point now. Most people come to me mm-hmm. and, and or they refer to me mm-hmm. like this is the person you should talk to. At that point, we have to be honest with each other. And and believe it or not, I think I've turned away more people that I've hired over the last, at least the last 12 to 18 months, I believe, because I think I have to be honest with myself that I'm setting myself up for failure. And in turn, I'm setting you up for failure because this isn't a match. And based on your track record, it's a little... Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah. I've looked at your resume. I've seen your production. I see your post. around, and, yeah. yeah. And, you know, and that becomes... Look, if, if you believe in these, if these values make sense to you, then this is a good place for you. If they don't, then it's not. And you may be successful outside of me. Right. You may be, I may be turning away somebody who's really, really Correct. successful. Or holding them back. Or holding them, I may hold them back. And I have to be honest with that too. That I, that's why I don't look at it financially first. I look at it, can I help this person grow? Great, let's, let's work together. Can I not? Then, then this, isn't, this doesn't make sense. So do you feel like as time goes on, loan officers are kind of be wound out of the business? Or do you think that, you know, there still is a value nationwide for loan officers that have the right common affiliations, strategic alliances. I mean, you know, I believe in technology and everything else as much as anybody, but I think this is still a face-to-face business. Especially in this area. And especially in this area. I think that you, people still have to be able to, so when I buy a house, it's stressful for me and I'm in the business 20 years. So it's stressful for me. So it's still a stressful process. And I think you still need to have the right team. Mm-hmm. And to do that, you have to have a face-to-face relationship with somebody or at least a trust with somebody. So I don't think loan officers are going anywhere. I think the business will change, but I don't think loan officers in, in sense will go anywhere. You came up with the phrase, the real estate disruptor. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about where that came from and what the vision is for that. This, it's kind of a roundabout answer, but I'll give you the whole entire thing. Somebody, I always push, I do a mastermind, do a mastermind. You should do a mastermind and teach people. And I was like, I don't know anything about this. So I ended up taking a class on it it was a Zoom meeting once a week, and I was in a room with all these people who were a lot younger than me. And I started looking at the room, and I was like, "Nobody, <laughs> you <be> my kid, <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, and nobody's in an office, and right. nobody really has a lot of substance behind what they're doing. Yeah. They just kind of came up with a really, really good idea, and they've made it into this and a good list, script and a good script, and that's all it is, right? So I'm looking at it, and I'm like, "This isn't right, you know? What I mean, this is, the, you know, you're not really leading somebody down the right path. Right. So like, people would like do a, do a mastermind about real estate investing, and I was just like. Listen, I'm a real estate investor, but I'm, you should, there's a thousand people who are better school to tell you what, than I am. So I have to be realistic about myself. You know what I mean? I'm not going to do that. I started thinking more and more about it. And I'm like, you know, how do I kind of change the narrative? How do I like, you know, give people what's real? And then disrupting came into my brain and then it became the real estate disruptor. But real estate disruptor was really about how do I think outside of the box to help myself grow and the people around me in my, in, that are directly corrected in my network, them grow too. So disrupting the train of thought about real 100%, estate. yeah. I want to disrupt the way you think about it. I want to disrupt the way um, you see the business. I want to disrupt the way you actually do business. Let's, let's try different things. Right. Let's think outside Take of the shots. box. Take shots. Yeah, so that's what real estate disruptor is really about. And it's, I, I really feel like by leading with education, and that's what I'm trying to lead with with real estate disruptor, you have to. I'll bring the right values to myself. Like, you know, same thing with you. You try to educate every single day. I feel like if people buy into what you're educating, um, and I see people comment on your stuff, this is running the money. Yeah, yeah. but but w- whether it's good or bad, it doesn't matter. Mostly bad because they've never heard it before. But, th- but that's okay too, because right. you, you'll, you'll weed out the people who don't really connect with you at that point. But I think if you lead with education, you'll bring the right values to yourself, and that's what I'm really trying to do. I think the biggest thing that I try <laughs> and do, and again, you know me for a long time before I was even on that whole social media yeah. kick and everything, and the mortgage quarterback even existed, yeah. right? It's kind of like, I want people to think. I want to spark thought in people's minds and brains on different approaches and different ways of looking at things, right? So, like again, for example, how did the bond, for example, go down, but rates went up in the mortgage business? And yeah. then people are all asking about this. So I'm like, well, here's why. There's two. My two theories are this: one, 
banks didn't want to lend at that, so it would have killed lending because there's no margin. And two, some banks are going to raise their rates to take advantage of this refi boom, and they can't handle the current volume they currently have. So they'll cherry pick who they give the 3.1 to, and they'll tell the people they don't really want to lend to, our rates are at four. Yeah. So like, here's the truth and exposure based on my theory. I'm not just putting this out there for my own benefit or interest. Like, I don't make money whether you listen or yeah, don't yeah. listen. Right? I, I, I don't charge my platform. Right? Yeah. I, but like, yeah. when I make a theory, it's based on 13 years of like ground and pound in the street market expert watching and witnessing. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. like yesterday I had to post like. People are posting about the market. It has to go back up. It has to go back up. I'm like, okay, well, here's a story how I lost $75,000 in a month. Yeah. I started with 15 yeah. and I kept dollar cost averaging in and the company went to zero. Yeah. Like at 25 years old. I lost 75000 at 25 right. years old yeah. because I said, hmm, this stock can't go it's down anymore. Go the only thing that went up was my fucking tax write off. <laughs> gotta go off. Yeah. You, know? But, yeah. you know what I'm saying? But like, I'm giving you a real approach. Like, I'm making a theory based on my own personal experience. Correct. Yeah. Now, maybe I should share more of my personal experiences with people. Yeah. But like, you're actually the best person to talk to in that situation because you're outside, you're outside of any kind of company influencing what you're thinking about at this point. I, I'm controlled by nobody. Nobody. Yeah. You're kind of, you're totally in the middle. So I agree with you. And you're right about the bond going down doesn't mean rates are going to go down because people also don't understand Correct. that. The bond influences mortgage rates, but it's 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 basically what mortgage-backed securities are trading at, Correct. not what the Correct. bond is. And it used to be a correlation to the ten-year, but no longer. It's not as much anymore. It's help. It's influences, but it's not what really what it is. And th- you hit it on the head. Some banks stopped taking applications completely this week. Completely. Some banks started adding to their rates because they didn't want to take applications. Completely. And that happened a lot too. So those are the two things people don't realize. What the other thing that people don't realize too is. This type of business, they're like, oh, banks are raking your money. This isn't good for some banks. At all. Because they can't afford, they don't have the liquidity At all. to handle can't it. Can't lend. Yeah. So I think, what, I personally think you're going to see if, if we stay where we are right now, that you'll see some companies in, in April, May, and June. Merge, go out. Go out or be be gobbled up or go out. Because if you don't have enough money to, to warehouse the loans. You're done. You're, you're out. You're done. You're out. You can't handle the business. You're, you're done. So, you know, I told you, I was like, it's been so, it's been two of the craziest weeks I've ever had in the mortgage business. It's still not great. You know what I mean? Like the rates in the last two days, we lost yep, 200 basis points up. Yeah, they're up. They're up, up near 4%. Yeah, they're up over, if, but by interest rates, they're up over a point in the last like, like Think five about that. days. Think about that conceptually Crazy. to the market. So what people also don't understand, like I love debunking myths, as you know, debug, debunking yeah. myths, right? <laughs> so it's like, well, my uncle got 2.75%, right? And then they come to you, the credit score is 619. Their debt ratio is 48. Yeah, they have bit. no money in the bank. Yeah. It's like, I get that, but there are add-ons. We're like all not created equally in that we're situation. We're all not created yeah. equally. Just because your uncle got 275, your profile doesn't look like your uncle's, all and right. you don't have a million in the bank. Yeah. How do we get that out to the consumer that like not every rate is for every single no. person, and we don't control that? I think you have to make it as black and white as possible, and I try to people. They don't listen. Yeah, I know. But the, the thing is, is that from a bank standpoint, and from me, personal, if I was lending money to anybody... I want to be paid, my risk tolerance, as my risk tolerance gets higher, I want to be paid more for my money. So the same things with banks. If you're a lower credit score and you're a higher risk, I want to be paid more for my money. And that's the same thing as the the market every single day. There's risk factors in those loans and banks are going to want to be paid more if you're a riskier case. And that's the same thing as anything else. The same thing as when I buy properties. If I'm going to buy in Manhattan, I'll take a five or a six cap. I'm okay with that. If I have to go collect rent in, in a bad neighborhood in Newark and Patterson or something else, I want a 14 or 15 cap because I have to, it's, it's more of a risk for me. It's, it, I have to have a higher risk tolerance. It's the same thing. Like it's just, it's more very, things can go wrong. More things can go wrong. Like in Manhattan, if I stay here 20 years, I'll get my money back. Yep. Whatever I'm collecting on, it's yep. less, but I'm going to get my money back. And those areas where people don't realize, what I find scary about the market today more than anything and what mirrors 2008 the most is that 
the areas that are really like I'll use New Jersey because it's easier, and and New York's easy too. But Passaic County, Union County, um, Hudson County, these areas where all the, the the values are very very inflated, inflated in and the not so desirable neighborhoods. All speculative money. It's speculative money. All it, speculative. And all those markets were high in 2007 too, before the crash. That's what people should go back and look historically. Go back and look at Patterson, which has become this hot thing in 2007. All the, fraud. Yeah, there was the values were all, some of the values from then still haven't come back. So listen, maybe I'm wrong, but that's what scares me about the market, those markets. I had a guy call me the other day. This is the truth. <laughs> Knock on wood. Yeah. Called me and said, I have a couple flips going on and I've been using the draw monies for construction as my down payment and my interest payments on my other projects. Yeah, they, Flat out said that to yeah. me. You know, that's why I kind of have like this little Middle sweet spot for myself. Scheme. But I have a sweet spot for myself in the fact that I'm not a lender, so people can tell me that truthfully. Yeah, and I yeah. can kind of navigate them in the right direction, yeah, right? Uh-huh. But then I still have friends that are on the other side lending money that I'm like, well, if this one person, and I respect that. I, I, he was I honest about it. I don't respect that he's doing that. Yeah, but that he's or I don't like it. the business model, yeah. but I respect that he's honest about yeah. that, giving me the opportunity to help kind of get him back on path, right? Because everyone's been in a desperate situation before, right? I think one thing about myself, which you know, is like, I only hurt myself, right? That's true. Like, <laughs> even if that. I'm desperate, like, yeah. I'm not going to come and put somebody else in no. harm's way. You're, you're too prideful to hurt too anybody. Prideful. Yeah. Too prideful. Probably to, 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 to a bad it, it, it is, but in history, like, that will come back and bless me. You know what I mean? Like, I yeah. would never be like, hey, Ralph, do this because whatever reason, where it fucks you and benefits me. No, you're, pre- you're predictable in that way. Very predictable. Because you, I, I know about you. Jeff won't do that because he's, he's too prideful to, to, to give it to And if that. I'm going to do something, I'll tell you, like, yeah. hey, look, here's what right. this is. Yes. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. Other people don't do that. Yeah. So by the time people are in foreclosure on five properties, right, because they didn't ask me to get them out or help, now it's too late. Now it turns out what they did with the money. Now there are criminal charges against them. Yeah. You know what I'm coming from? Yeah. But if anybody's in, I think it's important to say, anybody that's in that position or anybody that because of this coronavirus thinks they're going to miss next month's mortgage payment, contact your mortgage person. Before you get there. Before. Not after the fact. <laughs> because agree. there are options beforehand that you could figure out, right? Yep. You could do an immediate, quick refinance in today's month, cash out money where it covers you for the next yeah. three to six months. Once the, once the bell is rung, it can't be Once unrung. you have that late payment. My, yeah. One of my best friends, I will not say his name, yeah. sent me his credit report. I'm in a meeting with my attorney. Says to me, why is my, this kid makes over a million dollars a year. Sends me, why is my credit score 580? I look at the report. I'm like, well, dude, you're currently delinquent on two accounts. He's like, what? It turns out he got servicing transfers, never got them noticed in the mail, and he's down two payments, right? And he's like, I never received, like, I, it's on auto debit from yeah. X Bank. And I'm like, look, this sucks, but it's going to take you probably three to six months to get this taken care of. It's, it's just, and it's, you have a million dollars in the bank. That's the reality of the situation. You're right. And that's how screwed yeah. this is. You know, yeah, listen, that's why credit reports don't make sense. We know they don't make sense, but it is what it is. And you have to play within the system. But you're there in. has to be some type of human or system that says, look, here, I've never missed payment anything in my life before. Look at this situation. Here's what happened. You never sent me those or I never got it or you didn't do a good enough job letting me know. Yeah, like, you know, it's something funny. has to be happening. We're in here. a world of algorithms now. Completely. Everything's algorithms. But Credit reports like the original algorithm didn't make sense. Like it, it does it doesn't necessarily make sense. It doesn't correlate to real wealth or anything like that. You could see somebody who has got no wealth that has great credit. Right. You know what I mean? So, so it doesn't really and I'm not saying like wealth should determine. It's a risk scores, model, but it but should it's, not it's be. It's a risk model, but it's a risk model, but the wrong it's way. It's only one of them. Too. Yeah, it doesn't make any. It doesn't. I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. And again, we live in a world full of algorithms now, so nothing makes sense all the time. Mm-hmm. Like the Instagram algorithm makes no sense. You know what I mean? Like, At all. And, and I've heard. 
high level people talk about that, that it doesn't make any sense, but it just is what it is. Like, so we just got to, those are the rules, figure out how to play within the rules. And that's what credit reports are. What do you see happening over the next night? What do you see happening over the next 90 days in the marketplace? I think this virus is going to have a big effect on what goes on. You know, I started to see this week that people were canceling open houses. They were. Yeah, people weren't letting people into ha- their house without a mask on. I-, I had an attorney call one of my closures yesterday that said, have you traveled out of the country in the last, like, like two months? If you did, we're not letting you in our office. Wow. So it's starting to affect it. So I think it's, it's unpredictable because how long is this going to last? Mm-hmm. I think that's going to be the biggest factor in the business. Like my company's completely virtual. We literally can do everything and not have to meet anybody ever, but you still have to close alone. Um, so you're still going to have to meet for that. So, you know, so I think somebody like me is at a little bit of an advantage because I could still operate completely. Do you think that this will push like e-closings? So we, or virtual we, so we're set up for e-closings, oh, you are. but not every title company. Not every state is either. And not every state is. So that's the problem. So yes, I 100% think that you, well, you'll see, I, I think that just like the crash that happened in 708, you'll see good things come out of this, but I don't know how long it's going to, you know, it's hard to tell how long it's going to last. I think that as a country and as a city and as a state, we're attacking it and maybe that's going to be helpful. I'm hoping by the end of the month that we're back to like normal life, but I mean, you walked to the city today. There's nobody yeah, here. I took the path in Manhattan. It was filthy though. Yeah, I know. There's no, but there's nobody filthy. on the streets, which is crazy. I, had a hand, I hand sanitized my hand twice when I walked <laughs> in. The lady looked at me. I'm like, don't look at me like that. <laughs> the worst was I'm on the way. I'm taking an Uber from my house from the Heights down yeah. to the path, right? And I get into this lady's car, big lady, sitting back, gangster style, like didn't even have the courtesy of putting the passenger seat up. So I'm sitting all squished, yeah. my little white <laughs> ass, right? And the smell of the car was so horrendous. I started coughing. Like, I was choking. I was gagging oh. at how bad. And she was looking at me dirty. Like, I'm like, I'm coughing because of the way you I smell. Bro, it's like a movie. Yeah. It's really like a movie. It's though. a movie. Yeah, it's crazy. Some guy sneezed on the path today and everyone like, yeah, actually, you cross a sneeze, people are freaked it, out. That's I know. twisted. Yeah. I, my wife sneezed, sneezed the other night like in the kitchen. I was like, I'm just telling you, if that happens again, I'm slipping, <laughs> slipping, slipping, slipping. I'm not nowhere near you oh, the rest yeah. of the day. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's crazy. So let's get into more of I guess, how you're looking to scale your business right now and tell everyone what you do so obviously you can extract some type of business from this. Yeah, so my company is really, really so technology-based. It's made the process a lot easier. Uh, I really feel like, you know, mo- mostly on our side, but even for the customer, it's made it a lot easier. The mortgage process with us, like we're, we're closing refis and that number may change now because we have so many of them, but in an average of, we're clearing them from, from application to clear in an average of like seven days. So fast, the system works fast. And it's basically because our underwriters aren't allowed to make a lot of outside-of-the-box decisions. They have to follow the automated findings. They're not allowed to really stray. Mm-hmm. Um, so the system moves fast. So when that happens, then I'm able to kind of go out and do other things. So I've been able to go out and do other things. So whether it's helping loan officers and realtors brand their business to help them grow their business, I'm trying to do it that way. Like, help, how do I help you build your brand? And we take a lot of meetings with realtors and loan officers and, all right, let's talk about a strategy to build your business through branding and through developing a referral business and not a lead business. You know, you want your own leads. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one. And the second thing is, is for the community, like I had a home buying seminar scheduled for tomorrow that we had over 400 signups for um, that we're now doing live. We're doing oh, it as cool. a live stream. Yeah, it's actually, better. Yeah, I changed it to a live stream on Monday and I'm hopefully I get a lot of people, but it's a home, first time home buying seminar. And, and so when we, I have a model now where it's very easy for me to do seminars. So we're probably doing smaller ones two days a week and then doing a bigger one once a quarter. So again, back to what I said before, I'm trying to lead with education first. I want to educate the community, and I feel like if I become a good source of information and tell them how they should do things the right way, then the business will come with it. The and the right, process will streamline. And the process will streamline, and the right people the right people with the right values will come to, and, and match my values. Is there a website they can go and sign up on? <laughs> yeah, so the website right now, there's a couple of them actually. So the first one is cardinalfinancial.com slash iHeart, um, because we were advertising on iHeartRadio, and they're actually giving away $1,000 tomorrow. To, to somebody random. That's cool. So it's called the financial.com slash iHeart and you can sign up for the seminars. 
My Instagram, I always put the stuff up and it's D-I-B-U-G. But yeah, I mean, I think that I'm trying to do more educational things. One, because I like it. I really, really do enjoy it. And two, because I feel like if you lead with value, you'll get the right value. So as we close up the show, we leave everyone with something to deposit that to their memory bank. What's one thing you want everybody to implement if they had the ability to immediately into their life? I think we have to stop limiting ourselves. You know, there's a lot of people who I say I can't and I won't and I don't. Uh, I think if the first thing we we need to do is be consistent every single day. I think with consistency, uh, thinking that we're capable, I think I'm capable of anything. And I may not be, but I think I am and I'll try anything. So So if you don't, no one else will. Nobody else will. So we only, we are only limited by ourselves. So I think we have to stop limiting ourselves. It's not you. It's not her. It's not anybody else. We're only limited by ourselves. There's somebody right now who's listening or watching and I'm going to meet today that is making no money right now, but in two years from now, we'll be making a lot more money than I am. You know, they, they have the ability to be more mm-hmm. successful than I am because um, if they use their time wisely the next two years and they, and they, they focus on the skills. So I think we have to stop limiting ourselves more than anything. And that's what I've learned about myself. And, you know, sometimes it's hard, but I, I try not to limit myself. So this episode was given to WeLend, uh, the number one New York, New awesome. Jersey fix and flip lending platform. Um, so if anybody wants to get a fix and flip loan or fix Good and job. flip pricing, I've personally used them. I know Ralph sent deals yep. to them. I've sent numerous clients to them. Just uh, reach out to them. Make sure you use code deposit that. They'll give you a special discount. Two great guys, Ruben and Moses. Highly, highly recommend them. Highly, highly operating with integrity, speed, class. Just really, really, really good guys. So make sure you reach out to WeLend. Follow them on Instagram at WeLend. Ralph, it's been a pleasure as always. Uh, I look forward to our random texts and chats and laughs and ha-has <laughs> back and forth. conversation but, uh, for us, yeah. Well, yeah, normal <laughs> conversation, but you know, it's been seven years. I look forward to the next decade with you. Absolutely, bro. Appreciate Thank you for it. having me.